Well, on this uh, second Sunday of 2022, I want to do what I've done every year since I arrived here over nine years ago, and that is to bring to your attention and to bring your, your focus onto your relationship with Jesus by challenging you to go deeper this year. Because I believe with all my heart that God has some big plans, not just for this church, but for those who make up this body of believers. I'm, I'm talking about you. There are blessings that God wants to pour out upon your life. There is new and fresh revelation that God has stored up for those who diligently seek him. And for those who take the time to go deeper in their faith by fully trusting God in not just some parts of their life, but in every area of their life, he is going to reveal himself to you in ways that up to this point you've completely missed. God can and will do tremendous things in your personal life in 2022 if you will give him your whole heart, if you will allow him lordship over everything, not holding back some of those prized things that you're not willing to give up to him. But here's the sad truth. Far too many Christians kind of live their lives on the fringe of their faith by either being comfortable with the status quo or by simply not being interested in going deeper in their relationship with the Lord. But here's something I also believe with all my heart. The status quo is no longer going to cut it. The heat's getting turned up, folks. The world's going nuts. They need people who are solidly based in the word of God and in a relationship with Jesus Christ to show them the truth, to lead them to the way of the cross. So we must grow closer to God. Our roots of our faith have to grow deeper. We must become a people who are truly, as the word says, set apart. And when I say set apart, and when the Bible says that, it doesn't mean to distance ourselves from other people. It doesn't mean that at all. It means we are a people who are to live in a different kind of way. People whose lives revolve around their faith in God. People who live according to the precepts found in God's word and who maintain a standard of excellence in their Christian walk. And so today we're going to start a new four-week series regarding God's standards of excellence. You see, God does hold a standard, in case you were wondering. And the bar is set very high. And yet his standards of excellence are attainable, indeed attainable, for each and every one of us. Because when we are guided and empowered by his spirit, we can live our lives within God's standards of excellence. This morning and throughout this four-week this four series, we're gonna look at the Old Testament book of Malachi, which is only four chapters long. When was the last time you read the book of Malachi? We have one astute student here that says he has. I didn't think so. Most people don't take the time to read some of the Old Testament books, and they're phenomenal. They are. <clears throat> and, and you're probably wondering right now, 
Well, Pastor David, why would you kick off the new year from the last book of the Old Testament? I don't get it. And I would say to you, well, you're gonna, you're gonna find out. <laughs> you're gonna find out, so I want you to go ahead and turn to Malachi chapter one. While you're doing that, I'm gonna give you some, some, some background, some information moving into this. Malachi was one of the minor prophets of the New Testament. His name means my messenger. And that's exactly what God used him for, to be a messenger to Israel. Why a messenger, you may ask? Because as you can clearly see, throughout Israel's history, they were a very fickle bunch of people. They were, they were up one day and they were down the other. You can see seasons where they were very close to God and it was manifested by God's tremendous blessings over them. And conversely, you can see seasons of, of great distance and almost a total disregard for God and it showed in difficult times that we're lacking God's blessings. And so what Malachi was called to do by God was to bring a message of judgment to Israel who had gotten off track. And as you read Malachi, you'll see he uses kind of a question and answer style to get his message across. You see, Israel had become so sinful as a nation, as a people, God's word was no longer having an impact on them. There was arrogance. There was hypocrisy. There was infidelity. There was divorce. Even the priests were corrupt. They were dishonoring God's name and they were profaning God's covenant. And yet through it all, Israel carried around this false sense of security regarding their privileged relationship with the Lord. I don't know about you, but that sounds an awful lot like modern day America, doesn't it? We may be called a Christian nation, but we've pretty much shut God out of our, of our culture. And as a result, we too are experiencing spiritual and moral decay which is exactly what was going on in Malachi's day. So there are great parallels between the book of Malachi and 21st century America. And that's why I think it's important for us to study it. So Malachi was called by God to do what prophets did in those days, to bring people back to God. And not to just bring people back to God, but to bring back their worship and their honor and their reverence for God, to bring back their relationships, to bring back godly stewardship uh, to a level of excellence as set forth by God. But rather than bog you down with a lot more details about why this book was written, here's the main thing that you need to understand. Malachi was commissioned by God with the express purpose of reestablishing God's standard of excellence among his people. Something had begun to happen to the attitudes, to the behaviors, to the relationships of God's people during Malachi's day. Everything was drifting south. People's spiritual commitments were in severe decline, as well as the quality of their marriages and their families and the management of their money, their stewardship and their morals were all heading in completely the wrong direction. So God appointed this, this courageous, straight-talking guy named Malachi 
to come and reestablish God's standard of excellence. And furthermore, to challenge the people to live up to those standards. So let me kind of set the scene for you before we read, we read our scripture text this morning. Hundreds of years before Malachi, God had told his people, whenever it is time for you to bring a lamb to the temple as a worship offering, I want you to walk through your herds and select your very best lambs. I'm talking about blue ribbon lambs. I'm talking about the ones that would bring the most money in the marketplace because I want you to make an excellent worship offering. That was God's standard. Now let me explain the whole lamb thing to you. In the Old Testament before Jesus, the priests would sacrifice lambs on the altar before God. It was a sacrifice of praise and worship for God's faithfulness. And part of the reason that God wanted them to bring their best lamb was because hundreds of years later, God would send Jesus Christ into the world. And in doing so, he sent his best lamb. He sent the lamb of God. He sent Jesus to take away the sins of the world. God was actually foretelling this in the Old Testament when he's saying to his people, the standard for lambs, ladies and gentlemen, is very high. You give me your best lamb because I'm going to give you my very best. And for a time, God's people honored that standard of excellence and they brought their prized lambs to the temple as an offering. But by the time that, that Malachi arrived, Listen to what was happening and listen to God's response in Malachi chapter one, verses eight through 11. I'll be reading from the New International Version this morning. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. Do you see what's going on here? Instead of people searching their flocks to try to find their very best lamb to bring to the temple, they were doing precisely the opposite thing. They begrudgingly were walking through their herds and they were not looking for the best, but they were looking for the worthless lamb. They were looking for the blind lamb, the crippled lamb, the one that was leaning against the fence post about ready to die. And they'd say, well, here's one that we don't need. It can't bring any money in the marketplace, so let's just take it to the temple as our offering. They'd scoop it up, they'd put it on the altar before God and they'd say, here's your worship offering, God. I hope you like it. So God sends Malachi to talk to the people. Hey, Israel, God doesn't like this. He doesn't like it at all. If, at all. In fact, the whole, the whole deal is so offensive to God that Malachi says this in verse 10. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. 
Putting it another way, better to bring no lamb at all than to bring a blemished one. Just shut the doors of the temple before you try to pull another stunt like that one. Well, Pastor David, what in the world do lambs have to do with us today? Well, I'm glad you asked. The lambs represent our commitment to God. And whenever we don't give our best effort, our best commitment, our best worship, our best serving, our best giving, our best in sharing the good news of the gospel with others, we are giving him a blemished lamb. Today, through Christ Jesus, your life is now the sacrifice, a living sacrifice, not a lamb. And therefore, we want to live in such a way that exhibits excellence in our commitment to the Lord God Almighty. And I want you to know that I can personally relate to this story and Malachi's warning to Israel because earlier in my life, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to offer my bare minimum to God without reaping his displeasure. It never dawned on me that I should try to give God my very best. It seemed like that all I ever gave God was my leftovers. Not much of my love, not much of my attention or my time, not much of my talent or my money. All I had ever really given God was my leftovers. I walked around kind of thinking that God would be tickled pink with any little scrap of attention or any little bone that I would throw his way. However, later, after my falling away from my faith, I decided to recommit my life fully to him. And that is when I realized that God didn't want my leftovers. He didn't want my table scraps. God wanted, and he still wants today, my very best. And, this, and that made me rethink everything about my relationship with Jesus. I began to think more deeply about, about God's divine excellence. I began to reflect, reflect on the, how incredibly excellent God had been in everything he has ever done. I mean, think about the many ways that, that God has shown his excellence to us in everything. Doesn't it make sense then that we would offer him our excellence in return? I'm gonna go down a list of things to remind you. Let's start with his excellence in creation. By any standard or any measurement, God did an excellent job when he created the heavens and the earth, didn't he? Just spend a single morning watching the sun rise over the ocean or, or spend an entire evening under the stars and then give God a grade. How did he do? Go to the Grand Canyon. Go to Niagara Falls. Go to the Great Barrier Reef and give God a grade. Would you give him a grade of fair or good? No, you give him a grade of excellence. You'd have to put an excellent mark next to his work. What about God's excellent excellence in creating human beings? God created you with a body, mind, soul, and spirit. You have physical, emotional, spiritual capabilities that literally boggle the imagination. You've got to give God an excellent grade for that. What about his excellence in patience and forbearance? 
What I mean is that these magnificent human beings that God created, when they shook their fists and rebelled against God pretty early on in the Old Testament, instead of stomping them out for their insurrection like he had every right to do, God demonstrated excellence in patience and forbearance. He just keeps loving us no matter how far off we get. He keeps working with us rebellious creatures century after century, day after day, moment after moment. And God has always offered us excellence in guidance. We talked about that two Sundays ago at length. We talked about God's guidance. One time he led his people across the barren wilderness from Egypt to Canaan, hundreds of miles without a a guidance system. But what he guided them with was a system that was far more sophisticated than any GPS that you have in your car or your phone. It was a cloud by day, and it was a pillar of fire by night. Never one compass degree off course. And daily, those who serve him, well, we're given this guidance to navigate in this crazy world in which we live through the Holy Spirit. And what about God's excellence in protection at one time? God's people were outnumbered 100 to 1 by an enemy nation. But God gave his people excellent protection, and he delivered them. So the Old Testament is filled with the excellent acts of God. But then we have the the New Testament that tells us that God gave us his most excellent gift that he had to give his son. John 3, 16 says, his only begotten son. And Jesus came just as promised, and he set the highest standard for excellence in teaching. No one ever has taught like Jesus taught. He also set the standard for excellence in wisdom and integrity. Even his detractors could find no fault in him. And when you talk about love, he established excellence in love. No one is ever loved like Jesus loved. His love is unconditional. It is everlasting, and it does not change. So Jesus has redefined excellence at every turn. And then when it was time for Jesus to pay the price for your and my sin, he died an excellent death. You ever thought about that? Jesus carried his own cross. He forgave those who were pounding spikes into his hands and his feet. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They don't know who they're killing. And then with his final breath, he makes room for one more sinner in his kingdom, which was the thief on the cross next to him. And then he said, it is finished. And he died an excellent death. No one has ever died a death as excellent as Jesus because he died voluntarily. He died for a cause, and that cause was you, and that cause was me. And of course, he pulled off an excellent resurrection. It was quick, it was clean. He left his body wrappings undisturbed. He didn't even wake the sleeping guards, and he showed himself to about 500 or more people before he ascended to his heavenly home and is now at the right hand of the Father. And by the way, it was an excellent ascension, which he doesn't get too much credit for. Don't believe me, you should try it yourself sometime. (laughs) Then he sent us his excellent spirit, the Holy Spirit, so that each one of his followers could carry his power and his presence. Then he birthed a a 
excellent living organism called the church. And the church was designed to express his love to a love-starved world throughout the generations and give his followers a, a family of faith to belong to and a mission to commit your life to. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither has, has entered into the heart of men the things, the kind of excellence which God has prepared for those that love him. When you write all this stuff down and you do an excellent assessment of God's divine activity, you begin to understand why the book of Revelation says that one day that we're gonna join with all of the angels face to face with God and we're gonna cry out worthy, worthy, or we could just as easily say excellent, excellent. And I promise you, I promise you on that day, God will not get any B's or C's or D grades from any of us. He will receive nothing but excellent grades across the board, amen? amen. Well, let's go back to Malachi because Malachi is simply asking questions to the people that day. How then should a human being respond to all of these excellent activities of God? What kind of lamb do you bring as a response to all of this, to such an excellent God? And Malachi says, well, let me give you a little hint. A blemished lamb is not the right answer. Don't bring the one leaning against the fence. Don't bring the crippled one or the blind one, the worthless one. Don't bring the wrong kind of lamb to the one who has given his very best for you. He says, don't do it. Because God isn't interested in your leftovers or your table scraps. Better to bring no lamb at all than to bring that stuff. And it dawned on me as I'm preparing for this message, sooner or later, each and every one of us is gonna have to sort this out for ourselves, individually. This business about what kind of lambs we're bringing to God sooner or later, you are going to have to answer Malachi's question for yourself. What quality of lamb will you offer the God who has given his very best to you? When you read this passage, it has a way of putting it into perspective because when you begin to realize how excellent God has been to you, it becomes even more clear to you that you need to make an excellent commitment back to him. And that's really what I want to talk about this morning. There are clearly three areas in this new year where we need to offer God our very best. And the first one, in response to God giving his very best for us, we must offer our very best unconditional carte blanche commitment to God. We all need to move from a conditional commitment to God to a place that is unknown territory for so many people. We need to make an unconditional carte blanche commitment to the Lord. And that may be a challenge for some because perhaps you've never made an unconditional commitment to anyone or anything before in your life. Many of us are our options kind of people, always looking for the escape hatch, never making a full commitment to anyone or anything. We're here today and we're gone tomorrow. But the truth is, 
If there is going to be any integrity in this relationship that we have with Jesus, you need to answer this question quite honestly. What would be an appropriate commitment to make to someone who has paid the ultimate price in his commitment to you? Now you may wrestle with the answer to that question, but it will always boil down to this. You must make a carte blanche, unconditional commitment to God. Because really when you think about it, anything less than that cheapens what Christ has done for us. In 1 Kings 8:61, in Solomon's prayer of dedication, he tells Israel about this very thing when he says this, and may your hearts be fully committed to the Lord our God to live by his decrees and obey his commands as at this time. Does it mean tomorrow? Does it mean yesterday? It means today. So we've all got to get to the point whereby we say, God, I formally take all conditions of my commitment off of you. I'll do your bidding, whatever it is. I'll obey your will. I'll go where you ask me to go. I'll say yes to the promptings of the Holy Spirit as I understand them. I'll live out this unconditional commitment, even if it costs me something, Lord. Because God's commitment to us, we must give an unconditional commitment to him in return. We must give him our very best for his very best. This is making sense. And you will find when you get to the point of, of actually doing this, I mean taking limits and conditions off your commitment and your relationship with Christ, instead of feeling a sense of disappointment or regret or even unfulfillment that often comes over us in our life, you'll begin to feel just the opposite. You'll begin to feel a surge of spiritual adrenaline within you. You'll start to live a God-guided adventure, which is more exciting and different than anything that you've ever experienced before. You will become liberated from a self-led, self-limiting, very dull life. You'll begin to get real practical and ask yourself questions like, who's more likely to mess up one, my one and only life, me or God? Well, that one shouldn't take too long to figure out because we've been messing up our own lives since we were born. You see, ladies and gentlemen, God will do so much of a better job leading your life or my life than we could ever dream of doing. And then you can begin to live your life with no regrets. Why? Because you've made an unconditional commitment to the Lord. Not a conditional one. Not holding things back from him, but giving him everything that you are. And you know, as your pastor, I just want to say this morning, I love all of you. But there are some times that I wish I could go person to person and look you straight in the eyes and ask you, have you formally, have you thoughtfully, have you irrevocably made an unconditional commitment to the Lord? Have you? Have you said, God, I'll do whatever it is that you ask me to do. I'll go wherever it is that you ask me to go. I'll turn over the helm of my life to you and follow you unconditionally, even if it costs me something. Or do you still want to maintain the limits on your commitment to him? Here's what's interesting about all of this. Some of us look at the commitment levels of other people and we think, man, are, are they ever noble? But Malachi would say, if you're living with a commitment that is less than your very best, you're offering God a blemished lamb. 
Can you see why old Malachi rocked so many people's world back then? Some of us pat ourselves on the back for a 50% commitment to God. While Malachi would just say to us, I'm sorry, but you're falling short. It's a blemished lamb. Better not to give a lamb at all than to give a blemished one. He's saying, here's the bar, my friends, and it's been set high. And guess what? That bar is not moving. You're trying to move it, but it doesn't move. So let's all put the bar back to where it's supposed to be because God has never, ever demonstrated anything less than his best in any activity that has involved you and I. He has demonstrated only excellence in his love, in his provision, in his protection, in his guidance. And when he saved you, he saved you with an excellent salvation. Therefore, God says to us, make an excellent commitment to me in return. We must bring him the best commitment that we can bring. So the question of the day in this new year is simple. Are you going to do that? No scraps, no bones, no leftovers, because God wants your very best because he gave you his very best. So not only does God deserve an unconditional carte blanche commitment, but number two, in response to God's very best toward us, we need to offer our very best love and sincere affection to God. Deuteronomy 6.5 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Here's some real truth for you this morning. Too many of us care far too much about what other people think of us. It's a human problem. It's a human dilemma. We allow people's perceptions to shape the way we live. To determine the way that we react. Especially when it comes to our worship of God. Some have a hard time even raising your hands in worship to God because you worry about what the person standing next to you is thinking. Sometimes you worry even about what your family member who is sitting next to you is thinking. And God forbid, should we ever mention Jesus' name outside of these four walls, we worry that people might think that I'm a Jesus freak. And you don't want to be perceived that way because you think maybe that, that is I'd wrong in this world. But the truth is, when you discover that God loves you in an unbounding way, when you come to the realization that his love is an excellent love, a costly love, a self-giving self love, a well-meaning love, a heartfelt, affectionate love for you, when you experience the, the powerful personal love of God, you can only ask yourself, how should I respond to an excellent love like that? Do I say, okay, well, thumbs up, God, boy. I'm really moved by that, and then just go back to business as usual? No, you need to give God more of a heartfelt expression of your love to him in return. You need to move out of your comfort zone, and you got to begin to experiment with expressions of affection that maybe you've never done before. 
where lifting up your hands in worship no longer becomes an issue, where you begin to speak to him throughout your day, thanking him and acknowledging him for his goodness and his mercy and his grace that he bestows upon you every day, simply saying, thank you, God, throughout your day, taking the time to read the Psalms. As an example, Psalm 86, as words of praise and adoration to him. Here's some bits and pieces of that psalm. I've always said if you have a hard time praising God or praying, pray the psalms. Speak the psalms. Here's parts of that. You are great, great God, and you do marvelous deeds. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. And I will walk with an undivided heart. I praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. I glorify your name, for great is your love for me. You, O Lord, are compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. Just reading the Psalms with a heart intended to love God is, is, is like a loving, poetic expression of your heart towards his. It's taking opportunities when you're driving from one appointment to another, one place to another in your car, listening to praise and worship music, talking to him, praising him, worshiping him. In those moments when it's just you and him, you start to defend God in conversations that are going on in the workplace because his love in you is so real. And you don't begin those new expressions to God because your pastor is encouraging you to do so. You do so in response to his excellent love towards you. Like Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.14, Christ's love compels us. Another translation says constrains us. In other words, it has me in his grip. And when God, God's love gets you in its grip, then you want to give back to him. Carte blanche commitment, and not just that, but you want to give him more sincere expressions of your love to him. But there's a third response to God's very best towards us in that we must offer our very best gifts and abilities to the Lord. When I was 18 years old, I knew I had a call on my life for ministry, but I ran from that call because I didn't think I could measure up. And sadly, it was out of the fear of that call that I started on a great decline in my life. And I walked away from my faith in God and I ended up becoming a person that even I couldn't recognize. And that's what sin will do to you. It will take you to places that you never thought you would go and do things that you never dreamed you would be doing. But God found this wayward son and through his tremendous mercy and his grace, he brought me back and he picked me up and he dusted me off and I gave my heart. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. And I gave my heart to him and I gave my life to him. And in small ways, I started to serve him by utilizing some of the giftings that he had given me in lay ministry. And God greatly blessed me, and he blessed my family, and we prospered, and eventually I was able to go into business for myself, and I had a successful business, and life was good, and we were doing very well. But that call that I had earlier in my life that I once ran from, 
it resurfaced. Because God's calls are irrevocable, by the way. You can stuff it, but it ain't going to go away. It'll always come back at the right time. God kept that calling active in my life until finally I responded. And I'm thinking to myself, God, you've blessed me with this business. You've blessed me with a beautiful wife and a beautiful, healthy daughter. And things are going so well for us. And now this? Come on. I'm comfortable. I'm providing for my family. Life is good. And now you want me to walk away from all of this that you've blessed me with and give my best abilities and gifts and talents to you? Yeah. That's what he was saying. And what it really boiled down to was simple. There was a question that was being asked of me. Was I willing to give God my best? Was I going to give God the best years of my life and my best skills and my best abilities for his kingdom? Or was I going to reserve that, the best things that I've got for my things of my own choosing? Things that I only personally benefited from in my family. I'm reminded of 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11 that tells us this. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. But really, what eventually wore me down was reflecting on God's willingness to take the very best that he had to give and invest it in a mess like me. And believe me when I tell you that I was a mess. Some of you may think I'm still a mess today. (laughs) But I eventually surrendered to God and I said, God, I will do what it is that you're asking of me. I will give my best years of my life. I will give my best skills and my best talents to further your kingdom here on this earth. And I didn't do it out of fear of some kind of punishment. And I didn't do it out of some sense of guilt. I did it because I wanted to give my best to the one who gave his best for me. Here's the fact. Very few of you are going to be asked to leave the marketplace to go into full-time ministry. Very few of you. Most of you are going to stay right where God has you, in the place he's positioned you professionally. But that doesn't excuse anybody from having to wrestle with this truth. Are you going to take some of the giftings and some of the talents and some of the skills and the energies that God has given you and are you going to invest them in God's kingdom for his purposes or are you going to utilize them strictly for your profession and for the betterment of you and your family? You see, the truth is, ladies and gentlemen, too many churches are operating sluggishly. Why? 
Because people take their best God-given abilities and talents and, and gifts and they pour them exclusively into their professions and they pour them exclusively into their careers and they have little left over for God's kingdom and therefore they give nothing. Or sometimes they reluctantly give God a little scrap of their skill and their talent and they give him a leftover an hour a month. And then they really expect a marching band and applause come from heaven for their efforts. And once again, I want to remind you what Malachi would say. He would say, God doesn't want your scraps. He doesn't want your leftovers. He wants you to wrestle with how you can take your best talents and abilities and energies of your life and figure out how to use them in a way that will further his purposes here on this earth. Don't give God your blemish lambs. I'm not trying to be hard this morning. I told you at the beginning, I probably upset some of you. To be honest with you, that doesn't bother me. Because I'm preaching the word of God. And if the word of God upsets you, then you got a problem. I just want Malachi to rock your world. Like he rocked the world of, of Israel so many years ago. If you really want to see what the standard is, you need to deal with the trauma of it. You see, here, here's the deal. I don't want to stand before God one day having misrepresented or condoned a level of commitment that's not even biblical because we have far too many churches that are doing that. We go to, their churches are feel-good feel clubs. We come together so we can feel good. That's not what Christianity is about. Yes, you feel good when you serve the Lord. Yes, you feel good when you get together with brothers and sisters in the Lord and we're there to encourage one another, but that's not our purpose. I guess in a sense, I am being your Malachi today and I'm okay with that as I bring you this message. So once again, here's the standard. Your very best commitment, your very best love, your very best affection for the one who has never given anything less than his best for you every day that you've walked on this planet. Because ladies and gentlemen of High Point, this will go on all the way throughout eternity. It will always be your best for his best. Maybe some of you need to go home and have your own little personal ball, brawl session with the Lord about this. I don't know. But I do know that one day that you are going to stand in front of the very best and your eyes are going to behold the glory of God and I can promise you on that day you will be so glad that you gave him your best that you gave him the prize lamb of your commitment and your affections and your skills and your talents every day of your life I honestly wonder how different the church in America and in Red Bluff, California might look if all of us were giving God our best lambs. I mean, can you imagine what this church could accomplish for the kingdom of God if we all gave our best? You see, great churches are not great because of the pastor. They're not great because of the person that's standing behind the pulpit because I can be easily replaced tomorrow by someone else who has a call on their life. I understand that more than any of you. 
Great churches become great churches because of the people that sit in the pews of those churches. The people who without reserve, without putting conditions upon God, allow him to work in and through them in powerful ways. Scott, will you come forward? I'd like to ask everyone to stand to your feet. As we look this new year square in the face, I believe God is asking us, will this be your year? Will this be the year where you finally offer me your best lamb? Will this be the year when you finally take all of your conditions off of the table? Will this be the year where you go from a partial commitment to a complete sellout to God? And let me tell you something, how you answer those questions will determine what kind of a year you're gonna have in 2022. As I've told you many, many times, and I know you already sense it in your own spirit, the time is short. We can't play church any longer. I'm, I don't wanna play church anymore. We gotta give God our lives without reservation and unconditionally. It's truly the only way for him to fulfill his purpose and his destiny in your Christian walk and life. But you should never do something like this because I've asked you to. You should do this in response to what our great God has poured out for you and into you. I believe that God wants us to put the pedal to the metal this year in terms of what we do as a church and what we do as a people. I believe he wants us to increase our commitment to him, to increase our awareness of the lost in this community that surround us everywhere we go. And, but, but none of that's gonna happen if you remain unmoved. And let this message go in one ear and out the other. Yeah, you may be challenged now. You may even come down to the altar here in a minute and pray. But if you don't let it change you, if you don't let it change your actions, if you don't purposefully set up a plan of how you're gonna go about doing this by taking one step at a time. Sometimes you say, what does this mean? It becomes overwhelming to me. Just take one step towards God. I'm gonna give you this and watch what he does when you give him your best. And then you're gonna be so excited about what you see that then you're gonna say, I wanna give you this. And he's gonna bless you by doing that. And, and this is how we grow, and this is how we become passionate, and this is how we become excited about a relationship with Jesus Christ, because we are being used. We're not just sitting there like a potato, receiving all this good information, but this good information is coming and it's piercing into our spirit, and it's, and it's changing the way we look at life, it's changing the way we live life, it's changing the things that we do for the glory of God. And whether this morning you either want to accept this challenge or whether you want to continue to fight God about it, I have found that the altar is always the best place to go. 
And so I'm opening up this altar today who anybody, to anybody who might wanna come and seek God about how you might plan to give him your very best this year. I want you to come forward if you'd like to make a commitment to God and ask for his guidance and for his strength in helping you to make good on that commitment. Maybe you're here today and you've never asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life. You've never received salvation. Well, this is where every bit of it starts. The Bible says if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So simply pray a prayer. Tell Jesus you believe that he is the son of God. Believe that God raised him from the dead. You believe that he is the only pathway to God the Father. Ask him to forgive you of your sins and become the Lord of your life. The Bible says if you confess your sin, he will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Maybe at the start of this new year, you just want to come and seek the Lord for whatever it is. But this altar is open. While the worship sings, team sings, I want you to come down here and pray. Pastors are going to pray over you while you're praying. And then we're going to close this service. Don't miss your opportunity to draw close to the Lord and accept a challenge that will change your life.
those at the altar continue to pray. You can stay here as long as you'd like. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dismiss you from this service. Heavenly Father, thank you for a prophet, a plain-spoken prophet named Malachi. Thank you for your word, which shows us that things that happened thousands of years ago run complete parallels to what we are experiencing today. But ultimately, Lord, thank you for reminding us today that for your best, we are to give you our best. Forgive me when I haven't. Forgive us as a body of believers when we haven't. And God, as we take conditions off of the table and we fully give you every aspect of our life and our abilities and our talents and our love, pray that you would use us in mighty ways. God, I pray that you would shock us this year with what can happen through committed vessels who give everything to you. We would see new lives being one for Christ. We would see growth like we've never seen before. But more than that, we would see an enthusiasm and a joy and a heart in our hearts that was undeniable that would be attractive to everyone who surrounds us and comes near us. And that's our desire, God, that we would live in such a way that people would know there's something different about us and it's the love of Christ and it's our commitment to Christ. So Father, I pray that you use us, each and every one of us. Let us not leave here today and forget what was spoken today. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will bring this to our remembrance every moment of every day here on. Our best for your best. Our best for your best, best. Let it be so, Heavenly Father. As we leave here today, I pray that your Holy Spirit would go with us, guide us, guiding our steps, guiding the things we do, the places we go, the conversations that we have. May those conversations be designed to build up and not tear down. I pray that we would shine as bright lights in a very dark world. And that light would be the love of Christ that that just flows out of us and it would be attractive and others would come and say what is it that's different about us and those doors would open so that we could share our faith with others in fact I pray father you would give us a God-ordained moment each one of us this week where we have the opportunity to share your goodness with someone else and that we would courageously walk through that door that you've opened and be obedient to what you've asked us to do and father between now and the next time we meet I pray that you will keep us safe From any accidents that might befall us, I pray that you would keep us safe from sickness and disease. And for the many who are not with us, who are home, who are suffering with sickness and diseases, God, we pray your healing touch upon them today. As they're sitting and watching this online or in their TV at home, Father, I pray that they would sense your spirit fall upon them and they would be healed in Jesus' name. We go about our separate ways, Father. Let us go in love. Let us fulfill the mission that you've called us to do. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here.